3: It is the Guy Benson Show on a busy, busy Friday with some major breaking news. This is Rich Zioli from WPHC in Philadelphia, in for Guy today. Great to be with you, and I mean it is a busy, busy day today. I am not exaggerating. In fact, we're going to start with a Fox News alert. Let's do it. So uh, the Customs and Border Patrol, they have proposed discipline for four horse patrol agents. Remember, these are the agents who were accused of whipping Haitian migrants, except that a report found that they never whipped any Haitian migrants. They didn't whip them. And yet discipline has been proposed regardless. This is we're dealing with what one representative, Representative Pat Fallon of Texas says, we are dealing with a catastrophe at the Mexican border. So what did these brave agents on horseback do nothing. They did nothing wrong. They might have used harsh language. They might have blocked the migrants because, you know, they're not supposed to be crossing illegally. But they never whipped anybody. And if you remember, President Joe Biden, he accused them, flat out lied, came out and lied and said that that's exactly what those guys did. He came out and said that, and he even said they will pay. This is what Biden said last year, cut 19.
4: It was horrible what to see, as you saw to see people treated like they did horses barely running them over people being strapped it's outrageous i promise you those people will pay there will be an investigation underway now and there will be consequences
3: there will be consequences except they did nothing wrong they did not whip anybody there is no evidence after a thorough investigation that Any of these agents, not one, not two, not three, not four, none of them hit anyone with the reins on their horses. This is at a time when Border Patrol is at an all time low point for morale. And it is outrageous that these guys are being disciplined. But there's also another big news story today, of course, that is the assassination of Japan's Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister. An assassination, brazen assassination in broad daylight. So what is this going to mean? For the United States of America, what is this going to mean for our national security? What does this mean that in a country that where they don't have any guns, a madman can make a homemade gun? Well, it means something that we've all been saying, those of us who support the Second Amendment, is that you can have all the laws in the world. But if a whack job wants to get his hands on a gun, he'll get his hands on a gun somehow buying it illegally in this case, making it illegally and carrying out a dastardly plot. All the laws in the world, because there are laws against assassinating former prime ministers, don't mean a damn thing if these guys are determined to do something. So that's where we are with that major story. And world leaders, including former President Trump, have expressed their condolences over Shinzo uh, Shinzo, Shinzo Abe's assassination. Excuse me. They have expressed their outrage over this, and rightly so. But you know what I found fascinating? is how many left-wing news outlets, including NPR, have been just really maligning him and putting him down because he was a conservative. And that's something I'll bring you up to speed on as the show progresses today as well. But in in just a moment, we're going to be joined by a great guest, of course, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, a retired Fox News contributor and former national security advisor to Vice President Pence and former chief of staff of National Security, National Security Council in the Trump White House. So uh, we're going to talk to him in just a moment, not only about this, but also about what's happening in Afghanistan. You know, we are watching right now as the Taliban has taken full control, full control of Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And you probably remember the flashback of President Joe Biden at the time that we were talking about the withdrawal from Afghanistan saying, you know, we're not going to do this. We're we're the Taliban's never going to get control. It's not going to happen. But that's exactly what happened. And I'm so pleased to welcome to the show Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, author of War by Other Means, a general in the Trump White House. General, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me.
5: Hey, Rich, thanks for having me today. Really appreciate it.
3: No, listen, I really appreciate you being here. I want to start with a flashback of President Biden last year on the withdrawal of Afghanistan. Uh, this is what he said. This is what he promised. Take a listen.
4: Is the
6: Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable?
3: No, it is
4: not. Why? Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable.
7: Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is you, not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about, whether that will happen or not?
4: That is not true. They did not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So
7: what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse?
4: The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place.
3: Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, I mean, is what the president said, and obviously the exact opposite has happened.
5: Yeah, well, honestly, Rich, I think those comments sure didn't age very well. Um, look, when we left the White House, we left a pretty good plan in place, and, and we all saw what was happening. And I will tell you, you had, uh, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, was there when we were there. He saw the intelligence reports. Now, one of two things, either he he basically lied to the American people and say he didn't see those reports. I saw those reports. I knew what the possibility was if we didn't get an agreement with him, and I'll rapidly collapse. Could collapse at the time. So did Mark Milley. So everything he said about the Afghan withdrawal and collapsing was is untrue. We said, unless you left a residual force, and we actually had that plan in place of 3,500, you would hold on to the major airfields. You would make sure you had a counter terror force, which was the CIA force with paramilitary of another 3,000, unless you held those numbers, it it would collapse on you, and you'd have to have some type of agreement with the Taliban. And what happened was uh, Trump reached out to Mullah Berarder, who was the leading of the Taliban, the lead negotiator. And he basically said, look, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to do. And, oh, by the way, you know, if you don't follow through with this, I know where you live, and I'm going to come after you. I remember sitting in the Oval Office when he talked to Barader, thinking to myself, and it was all translated, think, Jesus Christ, how is this going to be translated to this guy? Because he said we were going to come after you, and what's going to happen. So what happened, he just kind of blew it off. So he owns it. He owns every single bit of it. I was disappointed his advisors didn't push harder on it. And I'm talking about Mark Milley and, and Lloyd Austin checked because they knew better. So, uh, it, by the way, now here's the interesting piece to me, Rich, is – he, this is a pattern that Biden has always set. Remember, this is the guy that Bob Gates, former Secretary of Defense and Director of the CIA, Andrew Biden, said has been wrong. Uh, Biden has been wrong on every national security decision in the last 40 years. You know, Senator McCain said the same thing. He just doesn't have a good strategic bone in his body. And he's proven that time and time again. So it wasn't just me saying that. His own advisor said it. And I always remember the one that really d- drives it home for me is when they were going to go after Osama bin Laden and they were in the Situation Room, and when President Obama went around the room, the guy that said, don't go, was Biden, which is stunning to me. The, the Vice President of the United States said, well, I, I don't think we have enough information to go, and, and they went anyway, and of course they, they got bin Laden. But that's a classic example of somebody not knowing what's really going on. and in in, He's either totally risk-averse or just doesn't get it. So, it's, I mean, I don't mean to you know, unload on this, but it's the fact no. is, it's just, a, it's just a pattern of this guy. And now you see it in Afghanistan. You saw it with the border. You see what's happening in Ukraine because he's actually st- – He's selling something to the American people, and I'm afraid they're buying it a little bit when he says, well, we're supporting Ukrainians. Really, we're not. When you think about what the Ukrainians have asked for, is the one system that I think could change the strategic balance, and that's the the MLRS, the Multiple Launch Rocket System, which outguns everything the Russians have got. They've asked for it repeatedly. We've given them eight systems. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, And he knows better. His advisors know better. I mean, if I went to Mark Milley and said, let me get this right, you've given them eight systems, and yet in Germany we have got a brigade, the 41st Brigade, of MLRS. And that was designed to defeat the Russians. So you don't give them the systems that they've got in this brigade, but you give them – up what's called a battery, which is the lowest level fighting organization in artillery. It doesn't work. It just doesn't calculate. But he's told the American people, oh, we're supporting them. And I would say to John Kirby and everybody else, no, you're not. Don't tell the American people that. You're being very restrictive on what you're giving to the Ukrainians, and they're paying a hell of a price for it right now because the Russians are outgunning them.
3: Uh, You know, this is perfect timing to have you as uh, my guest. And I'm so excited to have Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, Fox News contributor, former national security advisor to VP Pence, former chief of staff of National Security Council in the Trump administration and author of War by Other Means, a general in the Trump White House. Uh, General Vladimir Putin has said right now that Russia has barely started its action. Those are some pretty chilling words right there. What do you make of that?
5: Yeah, i I got to be honest with you, When I heard that, I said, uh-oh. Uh, and and by the way, this was also echoed by his national security advisor, a guy named Petruchev, which, which, and he said the same thing. And I said, okay, what? here's the indicator we need to watch now. He's refitting and rearming, meaning he's been fighting for 135 days. His troops are probably pretty worn out, anybody be worn out. So he's going to reorganize his organization. Let's see what he does. If he, if he goes after, to me... If he starts moving southwest towards uh, Odessa and in that region, in, then I think the Ukrainians got a big problem. Because if he does that, it's telling me he's trying to create a landlocked nation in Ukraine, trying to cut all access off to the Black Sea. He's already done that to the Sea of Azov, and he's trying to make Ukraine a rump state. And that's going to put pressure on us. Then the question is going to be, okay, Mr. President. What is going to be your decision now? Where do you go? You don't need to provide troops. They they have said this repeatedly. You don't need troops, but you need a lot of good equipment out there, and a lot of it to to at least man manage uh, to to go toe to toe with the Russians. We haven't done that at all. So by Putin saying that, I I, I think he's going to go all in and we need to be ready for the next, I'd say, 60 days, it could get really pretty nasty. And I think he's really – I thought for a while maybe he's going to try to negotiate because his troops are tired. But I think he sees weakness in the West. The fact that Boris Johnson is now gone was probably his biggest nemesis. Uh, And and the Brits, you know, when you look at support to the Ukraine, you know, the Brits were the second largest provider. You know, when we've provided as much money as we've provided, well, you know, which is about, you know – $50 Fifty billion dollars. They've provided about eight billion dollars. The closest country after that uh, is Germany, and that's down. That's half of that. That's about four billion dollars. But most of that is in humanitarian aid. At least the the Brits and the U.S. have provided a lot of military aid. So I, I think he's kind of feeling his oats right now, and we could be in for a long sixty days.
3: Well, you know, what uh, that's uh, a terrifying situation, General. And as I hear you say that, I, I just think to myself, my God, you know, where, where, where does it end? What does it do? And could we have a president who's more feckless at the moment?
5: Yeah, I, I, uh, you're right on the target on that one. Look, I I look at what he's doing. And he, to me, everything he's doing, it's look, like, it looks to me like an action in search of a strategy. And he, because he, it's, you know, that's when I see through what he's saying, because it, it sounds good. He talks big but he doesn't provide any real action out there. And sometimes I think his advisors may be trying to tell him to do something, and he's not doing it. Look, that's the reason I've said this about the artillery. I'm sure he was advised to provide this artillery, the MLRS. I'm sure he's provide told to provide the GS. He hasn't done that as well. There's a lot of things you can do to blunt the Russian advance and try to drive them to some type of negotiation. But right now they're dug, dug in, Zelensky's dug in, and, and I just don't think, yeah, uh, Biden's got a strategy. And you're going to see this also go towards China as well. And what you're seeing that with the Chinese pushing hard on Taiwan, I'm, I keep looking around for this guy to have a strategy. Here's a telling point, Rich. By law, you are supposed to have a national security strategy put out in the first year of your administration. In the Trump administration, we had ours out in December. We had it within the first year. They still don't have a national security strategy published. They've got an interim national security strategy, but they don't have a final national security strategy. That's telling. That's telling me he doesn't have a strategy going forward. And it's not because he doesn't have the same advisors. He does. I mean, the advisors he's got with him right now are the same ones he's had when he was vice president. So this is one of the American people who kind of sit back and say, okay, well, we voted for this guy. and said, yeah, look what you got. We told you this was going to happen, and it's happening right now.
3: You know Lieutenant General, I, 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 one other quick question for you before I let you go. I got a break, but um the assassination of former Prime Minister Shinzo uh, Abe, what do you what do you make of that? How does something like that happen in this day and age?
5: Yeah, I, I will tell you, you. You look at what happened there. First of all, he, he was a great friend of the United States. He and President Trump were really good friends. They both liked to golf. I mean, he, and I was fortunate enough, just honored to be in a couple of times in his presence in meetings. And He had a great sense of humor. He's a great person. Uh, you know, he only left his over his, his position over there as prime minister because he was sick. He had some internal uh, issues he had to deal with. Uh, physical issues, and he was just a good man, and to see something like that happen, I mean, when I, I saw some of the videos, I'm sure most people have out there, I mean, I don't know how does his security, that person get that close, yeah. and, and, he, and he did, and it was just, it's a terrible, terrible happening, because he was so good for the United States, and he's also good for us countering China, because he was very strong in supporting Taiwan, very strong in pushing back on China, We we've lost a huge ally and a huge friend.
3: Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, thank you so much for your time, sir. Have a great day. Thanks, Rich. And we'll be right back.
2: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. So what Texas is doing, we've taken unprecedented action to respond to this, including building a border wall, deploying the military, laying down uh, military-grade razor wire, and now doing the unprecedented, and that is Texas law enforcement and National Guard, uh, anybody they apprehend coming across the border illegally, they will be returning to the border.
3: This is The Guy Benson Show. It's Rich Zioli from WPHC in Philadelphia. What we are watching right now is an absolute outrage as for... Border patrol officials who were on horseback did nothing wrong, and yet they're still being disciplined. It's an outrage. It really is. These guys did nothing but their job, and they did not whip anybody. And I told you this when it happens. I'm pretty sure I filled in for Guy back then, and I said they never whipped anybody. Biden condemned them as being guilty the minute it happened. He went out there and he grandstanded it. And what you're seeing right now with this— 14-day suspension, which is what the recommendation is, is basically right now it's a way to say we're punishing these guys even though they did literally nothing. But here's the problem. From the perspective of the left, these guys did do something. You want to know what that is? They enforced immigration law. That's what they did wrong. They enforced the border. That's what they did wrong. It doesn't matter that they didn't whip anybody and break the rules. The very fact that they were enforcing Immigration law is the problem to the left, and that's why these guys are getting disciplined because this administration has to say we're doing something – We're doing something just to show you we're not going to let these guys off the hook, and they should unquestionably be let off the hook. I'm watching all of the reports coming in about this, and it's very obvious from every headline that I'm seeing on Fox News. They did nothing wrong. We're going to talk about this with Brandon Judd. He is the president of the National Border Council, and he's going to be with me in just a moment but the U.S. Customs and Border Protection has sent out these disciplinary proposals for border agents accused of whipping, and they never whipped a single migrant. This is going to kill morale and an, or, an organization that has already beaten down in their morale because of what's been said about them. Imagine that for the past year, you're accused of whipping people. They do an investigation. They find out you didn't whip anybody. You still get disciplined anyway. It's an outrage. So we're going to talk to Brandon Judd straight ahead. You don't want to miss this this is the guy benson show we'll be right back
2: You're listening to a new generation of talk. Guy Benson.
3: It is the Guy Benson Show, and it's Rich Zioli from WPHC in Philadelphia, where I host the morning show. And thank you for being here today. What happened today is an outrage. And I am so excited and grateful that Brandon Judd is here. He is the president of the National Border Council. Hey, Brandon, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon.
6: Well, Rich, is good to be with you. Thank you.
3: Oh please I I know that you watched the press conference just a few moments ago as US Customs and Border Protection now has sent out disciplinary proposals for border agents on horseback who did not whip anybody.
0: Yeah, it's 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 real hard to even begin to start on this. This was a this was a complete and totally travesty of justice. There is nothing about this that is honest um um straightforward or upright. Everything on this process was completely done behind the scenes, and it was done to appease the President of the United States. The President of the United States accused these individuals of a criminal act. There was no criminal act, so they had to justify something. So instead of charging them criminally, they went and they charged them with uh, policy violations. That's in essence what they're doing. But to, to understand exactly what took place, you have to look at the situation, the totality of the situation. DPS was in charge of this situation because CBP refused to take these people in custody. You had 10,000 people, 10,000, that were underneath a bridge, and CBP refused to take them in custody. And so because it was on state land, DPS had to be there. DPS asked for assistance from the horse patrol. Um, um, but the Border Patrol sent the horse patrol out. And by the way, Secretary Mayorkas was there. He saw that the horse patrol was, was being utilized as crowd control. He knew that that was going on he wasn't there when the you know when this incident right there at the river took place but he was there to see the horses being used for crowd control so you had this powder keg of 10,000 people to these agents back DPS asking for assistance because it was a very volatile situation then you had a couple hundred people that were trying to cross right in front of these agents these agents were in between two very very large groups unprecedentedly large groups And in one situation, one of the Haitian males put a female and a child in front of him in the river, in the river. Now, this river has taken the lives of several uh, – I'm sorry, hundreds of people. Um, this agent knew that if that female and that child would have fallen into the river, their lives would have been in danger, and his life would have been in danger because he would have had to have gone in there. So in a very, very stressful situation, in a heightened stress situation, he used some colorful language. Oh, my gosh. He
3: used colorful language. Imagine that, Brandon Judd, colorful language. And for that, he's getting disciplined because this is exactly what you said. The president came out and said these guys will pay. And so these guys now have to pay. You're 100 percent right. This is done entirely to appease President Biden. I know it's going to fire you up, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is President Biden. This is Joe Biden back in September of 2021. We'll play the audio here for you to take a listen and react to, Brandon Judd. I know you've heard this before, but I want to get your blood pressure even higher here. Cut 19. It was
4: horrible what to see, as you saw, to see people treated like they did. Horses barely running them over, people being strapped. It's outrageous. I promise you, those people will pay. They will be an investigation underway now and there will be
3: consequences. Brandon Judd, this is an absolute miscarriage of justice is what this is.
0: So he already pronounced them guilty. An investigation wasn't even done, and he pronounced them guilty. of How? Now, you also have to remember that these investigators, they are executive branch employees. They fall directly under the president of the United States. If they don't do exactly what they want him to do, uh, their, their career is done. He already ruined the career of the horse patrol agents. Now these agents, these, these OPR um, agents, These investigators, they also know that their career could be ruined, that the president could ruin their career as well. Of course they're going to find fault. And then Commissioner Magnus goes on, oh, I'm confident in the process. He's He's a political appointee. If he doesn't say that, the president removes him immediately. Of course he's going to say that. The president of the United States could have ensured that a fair investigation was done. All he had to do was take it out of the hands of people that respond directly to him. Had he have done that, we would have had a fair investigation. This was not a true investigation. This was a complete – it was a clown show. This was a kangaroo court, something that we see in third world countries.
3: Yeah, you know what? Exactly right. Brandon Judd is with me. He's president of the National Border Council. The president of the United States defined these men as guilty and the agency responsible who directly reports to the president then had to go find something. I can't imagine what these men have been through. I can't imagine what the morale of CBP is like today. For Border Patrol agents, uh, in an, an agency that's already having major problems with morale as they watch the border just be completely open and overrun. As Governor Abbott of Texas authorizes the Texas National Guard and the Texas Department of Public Safety to return illegal immigrants to the border, he's got to step up because the federal government's not doing it. In fact, federal government's standing in your way, Brandon Judd, literally telling you guys you cannot enforce immigration law.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to get to Abbott in just a second. But, but what makes this, this, this horse patrol case even worse, um, names are not supposed to, privacy laws require that names are never released. Go ahead and look at the, at the report that CBP just released, the 510 page. On page 20, you can find one of the agent's names. On page 23, you can find one of the agent's names. On page 28, you can find one of the agent's names. They didn't even redact the agent's name. So now these agents are known to the public they know, the public now knows so every single wacko out there in the world now knows how they, they can look up those, those those agents names it is a complete ridiculous and yes you're right Governor Abbott has to step up to the forefront because this because our White House isn't doing anything about this problem our White House cares more about pandering to political activists than they do protecting the American public a hundred thousand overdose deaths last year last year those drugs came from Mexico those drugs could have been stopped but because the president constantly panders to open border activists. Those drugs are flowing into the United States. You talk to any police officer today, any DPS officer, county sheriff, and they will tell you there are more drugs on the street today than ever in the history of the United States. And it all all corresponds with illegal immigration. And if it wasn't for Governor Abbott, if it wasn't for him sending um, the National Guard, if it wasn't for him sending DPS troops, there would be even more drugs in the United States. It's crazy that a state governor has to step up to the plate and do the the white house's job because they refuse to, to protect the american public
3: brandon judd i, I could only imagine um The morale situation right now at the border. I I can only imagine what what it must feel like to be a border agent knowing that you are basically going to get in trouble for doing your job. I mean, that's what happened to these four men here. The real crime here is that they were enforcing immigration law, and that's what the left hates. They hate the idea that anyone is, is telling anyone you can't come here, that the border's not open. So, yes, they did nothing wrong, but yet they did do something wrong in the sense that they were trying to enforce the immigration law of this country, and that's the real crisis in the Democrat Party right now is that they are open borders. So if you're you're a border patrol agent today, I don't know, how do you go to work tomorrow knowing that not only will you get in trouble for doing nothing wrong, you'll just get in trouble for doing your job, and you you can't even do your job anymore?
0: Rich, I can't tell you how difficult it is to put the uniform on right now. When when we go out there and we patrol the border, we know that we do not have any support um, from any... uh, Any political um, person in the White House today, we have zero support. It's very difficult to do the job. The only reason that we can continue to do it is because we do care about the American public. We want to ensure that there is some some sort of safety and security for our children, for all of our citizens. That's the only reason that we're able to to still continue to put that uniform on. It would be impossible otherwise.
3: Do you think that – the American people outside of states that are right next to the border can feel this every day. Because i got to be honest with you. I mean, I broadcast every day from Philadelphia, and, and I feel it. I see it with the fentanyl crisis that we have in the city of Philadelphia. I see it with the illegal gun problem we have in the city of Philadelphia. And I know that this is a border problem. And yet I hear all the time from the Philadelphia media and, and other outlets up here in the Northeast. Well, you know what? That's not a local issue. That, that's, a, that's an issue for Texas. That's an issue for Arizona and California. It, it doesn't affect us up here.
0: And you just define the problem. The, the mainstream media refuses to uh, to. Uh to even admit that there's an issue on the border. They refuse to identify that there's been 100,000 overdose deaths in the United States and where those drugs are coming from. They refuse. They constantly cover for this president. They constantly refuse to identify all of his mistakes. And, and, and let's face it, the first chink in his armor was border security. That was the very first thing that he did. He stepped in office. He reversed all of President Trump's policies that were good. And now we're feeling the, the effects throughout the United States. I have spoken with 16 different governors, and they have gone Point by point on on everything that is is affecting their states um, simply to the lack of border security and that's that 's the drugs the criminal aliens the aliens that are, that are coming over that are taking jobs or that we we now have to support whether it 's um, health care schooling, all of the social benefits that they that they get when they 're rewarded under the catch and release program yeah we 're filling it, but the mainstream media isn 't going to cover it because they 're constantly um, looking out for President Biden, and they don't want to say that he's doing anything wrong.
3: Last question for you, Brandon Juggs. I know you got to run. You're busy today. But um, Kareen Jean-Pierre came out the other day and said the border is closed. How do you want to respond to that?
0: Well, they, they use that. The, the borders supposedly were supposed to be enforcing our laws. So supposedly the border is closed. But when you release Um, thousands of people into the United States, it's clear that it's an open border. Think of this. Right now, we should be apprehending between thirty to 40,000 people per month. We're apprehending a quarter of a million people per month, and the vast majority of those people are being released into the United States. That's not a closed border.
3: Brandon Judd, thanks so much for joining me here today on The Guy Benson Show. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Rich. Sorry I was so mad.
3: No, Love it baby Love the passion Bring it Bring it You deserve it You've earned it And I know you speak On behalf of all of your members And they're all brave And uh, we appreciate everything That they do for our country And we will be right back
2: The Guy Benson Show More next
3: Now the question I always have is um, Can I give birth? I ask this question to myself a lot Just whenever I'm bored. And uh, the reason why I ask that question is because my wife had a baby, well, two years ago, our two-year-old Reagan. And she's a terror. She is. She's a little beast. She's got teething. She gnaws on wood she's part beaver. We love her. She's the greatest. Don't get me wrong. But I always wonder, you know, I mean, for for birthing person's day, as I like to call it, it used to be called Mother's Day. Uh, you know, what do you get your your birthing person in your life? I, I don't know. See, uh, parents right now are ripping the National Education Association proposing the use of the term birthing parent, which is just absolutely ridiculous, of course, because only women can become birthing birthing people or mothers as we used to call them. I'll let me bring in producer Christine because you're you're a, technically a birthing person, are you not?
7: I mean, I birthed a daughter. You so. birthed? Is that how it? Is yeah. it
3: birthed or birthed?
7: I don't know. I have a Jersey accent. Things I know. To, I sound weird. Okay. And
3: so do I. So it's like I got a Jersey Philly accent. You got a North Jersey accent. So between the two of us, we there's no there's no hope here. The
7: blind leading the blind.
3: Yeah. So you're a birthed birthed because you did in the past give birth. So that makes you a birthed person. I, I sure person. did.
7: I sure did. And by the way, can I just say, the, oh, I think we've talked about this before, but the only reason my daughter's name is Megan is because my husband wouldn't let me name her Reagan, which was my dream name my whole yeah. life.
3: Yeah, I got it done. Ugh. I got it done, even though in my mind, she's named after President
7: Ronald Reagan. But in my wife's name, in my wife's world, it's just an Irish name. You know what I mean? Oh, no, no. Mine was going to be after my favorite president of all time ronald reagan but honestly if you think about birthing and birthing parents there has to be some sort of what is what in this world like obviously a woman gives birth and i understand this is they're saying they're doing this they're changing this because it's all about maternity leave So they need to say it it can't just be mother or father or the LGBT community, how they're building families may affect them with how they're going to, you know, get maternity leave. But this isn't the way to go about it. Changing names of what is actually happening is not the way to go about it. I'm a mother. I birthed a daughter. I'm a – that's it. Don't call me just the parent. I'm her mother. And that's okay to say. That is okay to say. We have to eliminate that because we need to broaden, you know, what constitutes maternity leave.
3: Look, you went through childbirth. I know I don't know personally, but I've heard it's not the easiest process and that it may in fact at times be painful. So I think you deserve it. You've earned the title of mother. You get to be called that. Thank you. You're welcome.
7: I mean, I did get a push present I for a do. reason, although I did not push.
3: What? Oh, you didn't push? That's why I didn't get a push present.
7: No, I did. I Well, no, I didn't push, but I... You
3: that, should have got a carry present then.
7: <laughs> but I was in agonizing pain for 48 <laughs> hours until they said, uh-oh, you can't push. Let's go have a surgery for you.
3: Oh, yeah. No, that's not fun. Look, you know, we have two children who were adopted, and then we had our third child, Reagan, who was a bio baby, a bio surprise as I like to call it, and we deal with the terms of the fact that we are adoptive parents. You know, you figure it out, but to take away the word mother and to change it to birthing person, which is also done to imply that men can give birth. Remember... After the Roe v. Wade decision, they started to to come back and say the war on women again, because for a while it was the war on birthing persons. And that just doesn't have the same ring to it. I mean, imagine that, Christine. You see a bumper sticker on a car.
7: Stop the GOP war
3: on birthing persons. It just doesn't have the same ring to it.
7: I'm going to do you one better. This is just crazy. Do you remember last year, uh, last month, the Michigan governor referred to menstruating people instead of women? (laughs)
3: Yes. You're a (laughs) menstruating person. This is
7: just getting out of control. Like, because if we let this happen, gosh, only knows what's going to happen next.
3: Well, I just saw an article on Twitter, and I retweeted this. It's from this fatherly.com, and it talks about, can men breastfeed? And, of course, the answer is no, because we can't If if a guy has boobs, they're just useless. They're man boobs. Let's be honest. You put on the bro, you put on the brasier, and if it's really bad enough, you get surgery. But we have no, we cannot, and we should not be lactating. But they're trying their best to say, well, you know, under the right circumstances, and if you suck hard enough, men can lactate, too. Because it's now offensive to transgender women who are now men to be able to say that dads can't breastfeed. Got it?
7: Like I said, this just reminds me, remember Meet the Parents when he goes, yeah. I have nipples. Could you milk me, Greg? <laughs> 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 like I said, I mean, we're just getting out of control here, but we just have to remember the basics, the fundamental basics. I am a woman, I gave birth to my daughter who is going to – a girl who is going to be a woman. We don't know what the outcome will be later down the road, but what I'm saying now is she is a girl. She's going to grow up to be a woman. As of right now, she is a woman. And we have to keep that. We just – we have to come up with a solution because I know why they're doing this. Like this is more for insurance purposes, more for maternity leaves, you know, like paperwork. But we – we
3: can't just there's no i see i is it or is it because the lgbtq plus i a plus plus community has screamed when people like for example bet midler came out the other day and said only women can have abortions. And she had to apologize and backtrack because she said only women can have abortions because we've all lost our freaking minds, Christine. All right, we got a lot more to talk about here on The Guy Benson Show. We're going to be joined by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will be my guest. It's Rich Zioli in for Guy. Thank you for being here. I'm going to ask Chris Christie about Joe Biden saying he's doing everything he can to lower gas prices. Don't go away.
2: Most powerful city in the world. Unconventional talk from a fresh unconventional conservative. Kai Benson Show.
3: It is the Guy Benson Show, and it's great to be with you this afternoon. Guy is off. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy Benson, and thank you for being here on a summer Friday, a busy summer Friday, and maybe you are spending your time driving somewhere this weekend, maybe to the Jersey Shore, perhaps, and you're filling up the gas tank. Well, Joe Biden wants you to know he's got a plan to fix it. Also, it's not his fault. Also, it's Putin's fault. Also, it's uh, Big Oil's fault. Also, it's the little gas station's fault. And, oh, yes, it's the fault of Republicans as well. And here to discuss with me is the former governor of the state of New Jersey, Governor Chris Christie. Gov, how are you?
8: Great. How are you, Rich?
3: Good. It's been a while since you and I have spoken, so I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to reconnect here on the Guy Benson Show.
8: Uh, Me too. Thanks for having me.
3: Well, I want to play for you a clip of Biden, and I'd love to get your reaction, Governor. So uh, here, let's take a listen.
4: Well, Republicans do nothing to obstruct our efforts to lower your gas taxes. I propose that. I've asked the Congress to eliminate the federal gas tax for the next, as long as this crisis goes on. Lower food prices, lower health care costs. Hopefully soon, lower your prescription drug costs.
3: Well, it's Republicans' fault, Governor Chris Christie. It's the fault of the Republicans.
8: I don't even know what he means. Like, uh, part of the problem is that, that, that his speech is so jumbled. And it's so illogical that I don't even know what he means. I guess that means it's our fault. I don't know how it's our fault since they control the House, they control the Senate, and they control the White House and all the levers of executive power. So, you know, the the, the fact of the matter is any objective economist who has looked at this knows that when he passed the American Rescue Plan with no Republican votes in March of uh, 2021, that spurred on this extraordinary inflation. Uh, And when you read the news reports of what he's doing on fossil fuels across this country, um, it is no wonder why the uh, industry does not want to invest um, in further exploration or development of natural gas or or oil, because uh, this guy wants to end it. He wants to end those things in the United States. He doesn't care how much he sticks it to the American public and their pocketbooks in the process.
3: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. He knows that this is his problem. Well, maybe he doesn't know it, but they know it because this is what they want. They want gas prices to go up. They want us paying more to try to do this green energy transition. But, you know, Governor, it's as I'm watching all this play out, I keep thinking about high food prices, high gas prices. You know, in New Jersey right now, the Costco, for example, all the Costco's are saying you got to be a member if you want to be able to uh, get gas here. How does all of this affect midterm elections, you think?
8: Oh, I mean, drastically and more than anything else that Democrats are going to want to talk about. No wonder they're spending so much time talking about Roe versus Wade. No wonder they're spending so much time talking about, you know, crazy gun control measures. Um, They're doing all that because they don't want to talk about what the American people are really concerned about, which is they're trying to take their family on a vacation this summer or maybe even just trying to get to work every day and they're paying 5 to $6 a gallon for gasoline. They know that if they want to throw the air conditioning on in their house, that it's costing them even more than it ever has before. They know that if they go to one of the major cities in this country, that they've got to be worried about crime uh, because the police in this country have been undercut by Democratic politicians like Joe Biden and those who support him. And so those are the things that are going to really matter for the midterm elections, and that's why I think it's going to be a very bad night for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, but a very good night for the country in the long term.
3: I think you're right. And and I agree with you on the Roe v. Wade focus. I mean, it just doesn't seem to me as if voters care as much as the media cares. The, the media is obsessed with this. It's all they talk about. And I think you probably agree with me when I say this, Gov, that they were cheering at CNN when Roe v. Wade was overturned because this is their chance to get ratings again. Oh,
8: look. There's no doubt about it. They can, you know, flash those, um, you know, breaking news things at the, at the bottom of the screen, uh, breaking news, women's health care at risk. I mean, I have to tell you something. I have, you know, dealt with this issue, as you know, as the, the only pro-life governor in the history of New Jersey, um, you know, about this women's health care issue. Where we expanded access to health care through federally qualified health clinics to more men and women um, who needed that health care in the state of New Jersey than any governor before us or since. Um, this is not about women's health care. This is about a radical abortion agenda, like in our home state of New Jersey, Rich, where you know, abortion is available up to nine months. Um, this is what they want to get behind and what they're for. Um, and all the rest of these you know, uh, code words that they use to try to make it sound more acceptable, the American people are onto that. And they're not for abortion on demand up to nine months. And that's the Pelosi agenda and the Biden agenda.
3: And not only were you New Jersey's only elected pro-life governor, you you were also a guy who went directly after Planned Parenthood funding. I mean, you took them on and you won and you were reelected in spite of that.
8: There's no doubt. And that's why I think people who have not experienced this in a blue state um, will just listen to what the media says. Uh, As you know, I was unapologetically pro-life. Um, as a candidate in 2009, as a candidate for re-election in 2013. We won both of those races. Um, we lined out and vetoed out Planned Parenthood funding um, in all eight of our budgets and vetoed at least five additional standalone bills to restore that Planned Parenthood funding. Um, and the people in New Jersey, even those who were pro-choice, um, did not take the position that this was a Uh, determine their vote issue. Um, They understood that with some of them, they agreed with me, some they disagreed with me, but they knew that that wasn't the most important thing that a governor was working on from their perspective of their everyday lives. And, you know, the the Democrats now are trying to make it sound as if this is going to somehow determine the election. And I'm I'm here to guarantee you, Rich, that um, this issue will not determine, forget the uh, majorities in either house, now, I don't think it will be a determinative uh, issue in any, even in any one election, congressional, senate, or gubernatorial. Really? I, I don't believe it will be. No, I don't. Wow.
3: I, I mean, don't, I, I, don't, I, I tend to agree. I Look, you, you are, in addition to being, and, and Governor Chris Christie with me, he was the 55th governor of the state of New Jersey, uh, author of the book, Republican Rescue, Saving the Party from the Truth Deniers, Conspiracy Theorists, and the Dangerous Policies of Joe Biden. You, you're also, in addition to being, you know, a politician, you're. A pretty good political analyst. I think you got a good pulse on this, and I, I tend to agree with you. But it's the opposite message we're hearing, which is that now Republicans are going to lose women in the suburbs, particularly like where I broadcast in, uh, you know, Philadelphia and the collar counties. There, they keep saying, "Oh, Republicans now they have no shot."
8: No, I think that's completely incorrect because you know what? I believe those suburban women care much more about. They care much more about how much it costs to fill their gas tank. They care much more about how much it's costing them or their husbands when they go to the grocery store um, and can't get out of there at less than $100, even for a few items. They care much more about the safety of themselves their and their children um, as they look at in Philadelphia. Look at the crime. If they leave those collar counties and go into the city of Philadelphia, they're taking their lives in their own hands uh, because the police have been undercut by a radical liberal mayor. And even more radical liberal district attorney in Philadelphia, um, just as one example. And you could say the same thing about Chicago, Los Angeles, and you used to be able to say it about San Francisco uh, before they kicked out their DA for being too crazy liberal. And certainly Mayor Adams is fighting this battle uphill in New York City um, with uh, you know with uh, uh, you know the DA in Manhattan uh, who is also out there. So no, I think those are the things that people are going to vote on. Not on uh, abortion,
3: and yet, as a pro life Republican running potentially for president in two thousand and twenty four you're able to say hey look i was I was elected twice as a pro life republican where Where do you stand right now as far as potentially running for president again
8: Well, rich, look, it's something that i'm definitely thinking about. I made any final decision, and won 't make any final decision probably until the end of the year because I think that all of us should be focusing on the midterms. There is nothing more important than winning back the House and winning back the Senate to stop the really crazy Biden agenda in its tracks for the next two years. And I think we all learned during COVID how important it is to elect as many Republican governors as we can when you see how the states governed by Republicans came through COVID versus the states governed by Democrats. And so that's what I'm focused on. I'm co-chairing the fundraising efforts for the Republican Governors Association, Um, I just finished running the Republican redistricting effort across the country with uh, former Secretary of State Pompeo. And guess what? Republicans won redistricting across this country. We added anywhere from three to five seats through the redistricting process, and we're going to pick up more seats in the election. Those are things I'm focused on. I'm definitely thinking about running, but I won't make any final decision until we get the work that's in front of us done.
3: By the way, speaking of uh, woke prosecutors, did you see in New York City how they charged that bodega owner who was clearly it was self-defense when this guy attacked him?
8: Yes. Incredible. And, and this is this is what happens when you have these kind of folks being in charge um, in our cities of law enforcement. It's insane, Rich. It's absolutely insane. As someone who did prosecutions for seven years. Um, you know, that one was pretty clear to anybody who watched it as to what was going on, and for that guy to be charged, it's, a, it's an outrage, and it is why people in the city of New York are, are scared to go out on the streets, and they are. Um, you know, you had uh, more than a dozen shootings over the four, excuse me, the 4th of July weekend. Um, you know, it's not any longer um, a safe place, not the way it was. Under both Mayor Giuliani and Mayor Bloomberg.
3: All right, final question for you. Actor James Conn passed away. Better movie, Godfather or Godfather Part Two.
8: Well, it's very hard. I will tell you, I think that Godfather Part Two was the better movie. Um, I think it was it was both darker and I also think it was it was it was broader, uh, in the breadth of it. With uh, the looking back at the old uh, the young Vito Corleone, um, and and how he rose to power, I thought made it just a little bit more interesting. But you know, you're you're picking between two of probably the five best movies of all time. Uh, but I I would give a slight edge um, to Godfather 2, despite the absence of uh, of James Khan, um except in the very you know last scene of the movie. Um, when they they flash back to the time of uh, a surprise party for Vito Corleone, where James Conn is back. But other than that, um, uh, I, I would I would say Godfather 2 is the is slightly better movie.
3: I always like to say that if uh, Sonny Corleone had Easy Pass, he'd be alive today.
8: <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, and I, you know who I also wondered about? How about the guy, the toll taker, who dropped the change and then ducked? Right? <laughs> I don't think he made it either. You know, we never saw him again. And the ducking and getting behind the wooden uh, toll booth—I don't think it saved him, given the number of uh, bullet holes we saw in the toll booth as well. So I've always wondered about him. You know, we know what happened to uh, the sonny Corleone, but how about the poor toll taker? I think he might have taken—I you know, think he might have taken it on the chin as well, Rich. I don't know. You ever thought about that?
3: Uh, well, now that you say it, I gotta really do—I gotta rewatch it. So great you excuse go to rewatch here. The go Godfather this weekend.
8: Of course, with the poor guy? He drops the change and closes the door, which makes you think he's in on it, right? <laughs> but then they, they shoot that, that toll booth full of full of bullets, and as they're shooting Sonny. And I thought to myself, this poor guy, he's he's in on the whole, you know, the hit on the whole hit, um, apparently by dropping the toll money and closing the door. But I think they killed him too.
3: All right, I got my agenda for the weekend, Rewatching Godfather. Sorry, honey, I have to. Governor Christie pointed something out I've never thought of before, and I've seen it 150 times, but have to watch it one more time. Thank you for that.
8: To, what happened to the toll taker? That's the big question for this
3: weekend. <laughs> and if they ever make a sequel to The Offer, which, by the way, I highly recommend, maybe they oh, can cover great.
8: that. I love that movie. I love that miniseries. It was great on, on Paramount+. Plus. Free plug for them, but... It was. I, I'm glad you watched it as well. I thought it was it was really, really strong and I thought Miles Teller, um, you know, Al Ruddy, by the way, if you've seen the real Al Ruddy He's never looks better than he looks when he's being played by Miles Keller.
3: <laughs> well, I was amazing how controversial it was for that movie to be made because of Italian-Americans and the mafia. And, I mean, you went after the mafia, so you would know this. They really fought against this movie being made, so Al Ruddy being able to basically charm them into getting their okay for it, it, was, it was a pretty big uh, coup d'etat right there.
8: Incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive the way he, he juggled between uh, – you know, the Charlie Bluthorn at, 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 uh, at Paramount and, uh, and at Gulf and Western, you know, Bob Evans at, at Paramount, and uh, Joe Columbo. Um, although, as, as, as you'll recall, Joe Gallo was taken care of for him. But Joe, Joe Columbo, he charmed him. wanted them having dinner at his house, for gosh sakes. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good deal to get his permission and get Mrs. Columbo to make you dinner. That probably wasn't a bad deal.
3: Governor Chris Christie, thanks. Always a pleasure, Gov. We'll talk again soon. Rich, have a great summer weekend. You too. And we'll be right back here on The Guy Benson Show.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
9: I'm not going to second guess the district attorney
8: um, for his actions. With that said, uh, my heart goes out for that hardworking honest New Yorker that was doing his job in his place of business where a person came in and went behind the counter and attacked him.
3: And yet the man was charged with murder and sent to Rikers Island. It's an outrage. Here's the number. I want to ask you 833-456-1300. 833- Four five six thirteen hundred. Do you think this man should have been charged with murder? Here's what happened, and I watched the video. <clears throat> you should watch it too. The guy's minding his own business at his bodega. And this thug walks in and starts harassing the guy, harassing the guy, and then starts to attack him. And his girlfriend's there too, and they stab this man. And this man fights back, and now he's the one charge as the criminal. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office has requested at the arraignment Saturday night, claiming the worker was a flight risk because he planned a trip to the Dominican Republic next week. The man should be allowed to go. He did nothing wrong. All he did was defend himself and his business. But I'll tell you the reason why he was charged. Ready? The left hates the right to self-defense. They hate it. The idea that you are a sovereign person in your business, and you've got the right to defend it from a criminal? Oh, no, 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 no. Because remember, what DAs like Alvin Bragg and also my district attorney in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, what they believe is that the criminal is the victim. Oh, yes, the victim of society, you see, because capitalism, because of uh, racism, because of police brutality, etc. etc. et, cetera, et cetera. and they are are the ones who are, in fact, the victims. And so how do you put a victim away? So this poor man was just trying to get something to eat or something, whatever whatever they can conjure up in their Marxist head. And that's why this guy is the reason why he should be allowed to go free. And the man who defended himself deserves to be behind bars. Do you agree this guy should be behind bars for murder? The owner of this bodega who was attacked, viciously attacked, and did nothing other than defend himself, his body, his family, his business? Should he be behind bars in Rikers Island, along with drug dealers and murderers and criminals and rapists? What do you think? Let me know. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. This is The Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for Guy Benson. Call me. Let me know what you think. Eight, three, three, four, five, six, thirteen hundred.
2: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
3: So the question for you. Was this self-defense? Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, with you from WPHD in Philadelphia. The hardworking Manhattan bodega worker languishing on Rikers Island on a murder charge after fending off a violent ex-con was sprung from jail Thursday. But only after a judge agreed to lower his sky-high bail. The plight of, he's a dad of three, by the way, Jose Alba. Detailed in a front page New York Post story on Thursday was eased after his family was able to post a reduced bond with the help of his boss following a hearing in Manhattan criminal court. Quote, he has every intention to return to court and defend this case, said his attorney, Daniel Jackson of Neighborhood Defender Services of Harlem. He's 61 years old. Man was sent to Rikers Island. Now, if you are not familiar with Rikers Island, imagine every prison nightmare story you've ever thought of in your life. That's Rikers Island, so much so that the mayor wanted to shut it down. The previous mayor, Bill de Blasio, tried to shut Rikers Island down because he said it was inhumane. So here's this man defending himself and his business, and he's sent to Rikers Island where they put the worst of the worst, rapists, murderers, true criminals – he was sent there in a whopping two hundred fifty thousand dollars bail. Half of what prosecutors with the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office had requested at his arraignment Saturday night. He claimed it was a, fright, a flight risk because he planned a trip to the Dominican Republic next week. Now, why would he try to flee when he did nothing wrong? See, and this is the point his attorney's making. The man did nothing wrong. He wants to fight to defend himself because he never should have been charged in the first place. And politicians now on both sides of the aisle are coming out and saying this is an outrage. This man was doing nothing other than defending himself. But maybe you disagree. Maybe you agree with the woke prosecutor of New York City who believes that the criminal is the victim, the victim of society, of society's largesse of capitalism, and that you can't blame this man for seeking a life of crime after what society's done to him. And this bodega owner should just let the man do whatever he wanted to him. Take his life, take his property, whatever, because property should belong to the collective. And your life, well, you really have no value anyway, right? Let's go to Carol in California here on The Guy Benson Show. Carol, thank you for the call. What do you think?
10: I believe the 61-year-old man at the bodega was in the right to defend himself. It was definitely self-defense. I've seen the video.
3: Why do you think he's being charged then with murder, Carol?
10: Um, I think the DA is corrupt and needs to go. Um, They keep uh, attacking innocent people, and the criminals seem to be getting away. And that's what I've been seeing here in Los Angeles as well.
3: So you're in Los Angeles. You are in the capital of one of the wokest places in the world. And I have heard that the situation out there is so bad. And we know that the district attorney in San Francisco was recalled. Thank God. That guy was such a disaster. What's it like in L.A.?
10: Um, I'm actually in Orange County, but I get to see it every day on the news. Um, And it's pretty bad.
3: You know, I think that Americans are starting to wake up. Carol, I broadcast out of Philadelphia. I see it firsthand all the time, and it's creeping into the suburbs. It's not just the cities anymore. was a carjacking in one of the uh, affluent counties outside of Philadelphia. It's a misnomer to think that this will not spread like a cancer. What do you think?
10: I do think it's spreading, and it's it's a terrible thing, and what we need to do is we need to act upon this now before it's too late.
3: Thank you, Carol. Appreciate the call. The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. What do you think? Why do you think this is happening? Do you think this is happening because you have woke district attorneys who believe that you have no right to self-defense? I mean, don't you see that all the time in the gun control argument? Every time they talk about, quote-unquote, gun safety, what does it all come down to? It's this idea that you have no right to defend yourself in your home and your business. You do not have that right. The state can defend itself, but you do not have the right to defend yourself. 833-456-1300. I see this playing out every day. So on July 4th, in the city where the Declaration of Independence was written, Philadelphia, two cops were shot. Now, thank God they both survived. One officer... Was a member of the elite Philadelphia Highway Patrol Unit. And this is the best of the best. These guys are, these, these are the best. Bullet grazed his head. It's a miracle he survived. Now the gunshots fired were about a mile away, they think, and it, it's possible they were celebratory gunfire. I talked to a guy named John McNesby. Now John McNesby is the head of the Philadelphia Fraternal Order of Police. So I talked to him. I said, John, you know, uh, there's all these calls now from all these Democrats to have more gun laws. And he said, Rich, we have enough gun laws. We don't need more gun laws. What we need is to enforce the gun laws we already have. In Philadelphia, prosecutions for illegal guns are down to their lowest levels in decades. Now, you look at New York, you look at Philadelphia, you look at Los Angeles. Do you know that more people died in Chicago over the bloody weekend of July 4th and died at the Chicago parade at the mass shooting that occurred there why does that not make national news it's twofold number one there is so much violence in our cities on a nightly basis you know in philadelphia sometimes you'll have 12 13 people shot in a night 20 people shot in a night we wake up to those numbers every day i do the morning show i wake up to it every day i have cops texting me giving me all the stats and the details so that happens all the time but that doesn't really make i mean that's not a sexy story right and 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 how do you stop it? Well, I mean, you can ban an AR-15, but you're not going to stop the shootings that occur every night in the city of Philadelphia or New York or Chicago or Los Angeles or anywhere else. You're not going to. But they know that. But remember something. They believe what these woke prosecutors believe, that the criminals are the forgotten victims of society. And so they're not in a rush to see these people prosecuted and put behind bars. You know, Marxism is a philosophy, like all philosophy in life. What's your philosophy? What, what, what governs your day to day? Maybe it's uh, Christianity, perhaps. Judaism, those are philosophies, right, in addition to being religions. Perhaps it is utilitarianism or it is um, maybe libertarianism. Whatever it is, whatever your guiding principle of philosophy is, these prosecutors have a guiding principle of philosophy that is driven by a political theory of Marxism. Now, I often say that and people think it's a pejorative, like I'm trying to insult somebody. I'm not. I'm actually really not. I'm I was a political science major in college. I read all political theory stuff. And, you know, when you're in a classroom, political theory has all this meaning to it. And then you get in the real world and you go, okay, this means absolutely nothing. But to these prosecutors, it means everything. So these guys read Karl Marx and they read all his writings. And what does he talk about in his books? He talks about how in the Communist Manifesto that the working class is being oppressed. And so the only reason why you have crime is because of that oppression. And you could eradicate crime tomorrow if you were to give everybody the same amount of everything. That's what people like Larry Krasner and Alvin Bragg, the district attorney of Manhattan, believe. They believe that. So they approach it as the criminals are the victims. They are acting as defense attorneys, not prosecutors. Think about that. The reason why this bodega guy was charged with murder is because the district attorney of of Manhattan is acting as a defense attorney for the criminal, for the guy who attacked him. And as a defense attorney for the guy who attacked him, it's his job as a defense counsel to make the other guy the bad guy, right? The the true victim, the bodega worker, he's the bad guy because what does a defense counsel do? A defense counsel tries to make a case. Your Honor, members of the jury, my client's innocent. Because he is the victim here. This bodega worker should have never fought back, should have never killed this man. This never should have happened. Now, for a defense attorney to say that in court, because he's defending the man, even though the man's deceased, that's one thing. But for the district attorney to do it, you are you perhaps a law and order fan? Dun dun. You watch it. What do they always say at the beginning of law and order, right? The people are represented by and they go through the whole thing, the police and then the prosecutors and they do the whole right. Well, uh, the prosecutor in this day and age, in these cities across America, is acting as a defense attorney. Many of them were defense attorneys. In my city, Philadelphia, Larry Krasner was a defense attorney for years. And now he's the quote-unquote prosecutor. You see the problem with that? If your entire life you go through your career with a mindset – that you've got to fight against oppression and the state, police brutality, um, unfair laws, blah, 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 blah blah. The hierarchy, the patriarchy, blah, 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 blah. And that's your entire mindset through life. And now you are elected district attorney. How does that mindset suddenly change to say that these are criminals and they're bad guys? You've literally spent your entire career arguing the opposite. You've argued the opposite your entire career, that these are victims That's the problem. You can't just simply snap your fingers and make that go away. It's impossible to make that go away. This man should never have been in Rikers Island. Imagine the fear of that. He didn't do anything. He's sitting there. Watch the video. He's sitting there, and this guy attacks him, and he fights back. All he does is fight back. And he's in Rikers Island among the worst of the worst. 833 456 1300, 833-456-1300. 1300, 833-456-1300. But maybe you disagree. Maybe you think he should be in jail because the man died. And it doesn't matter how somebody dies. If somebody dies, it's the end of it. That, then it's murder. Maybe you think that. I do not think that. I think you have a fundamental, God-given right of self-defense. It's enshrined in the Constitution. It's enshrined in the Bill of Rights. It's also the reason why they hate the Second Amendment, because they don't believe you have a right to self-defense, and they certainly do not believe you have a right to defend your property. Oh, no, they do not believe that for a second. Remember something. Property should belong to everybody. It shouldn't belong to just you, right? Come on. How dare you own all of that yourself? You should not. Here is a clip of Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City. I know we played the one clip, so let's play the other clip here of the mayor discussing what happened here. Take a listen.
8: It's obvious this gentleman was here. Um, Working, providing for his family as i saw it from the video i saw a worker here inside the store following the law and he should not have been approached in the manner that he was approached
3: you know the mayor was a cop he was a police officer he's got to straddle the fence though because you know and you do know this cops are the bad guys in most of these cities Cops are the bad guys in most of these cities. So when you see a guy like Eric Adams become mayor and he tries to fight back on crime, he's taking a big risk because the guy who the knucklehead was mayor before him, Bill de Blasio, that guy believed the opposite. He believed that these criminals are the victims. Let's go to Gene. Gene is in Georgia. Gene, you're on The Guy Benson Show.
6: We were working on a uh, Atlanta Housing Authority property, and we had four trucks all back together, and I was kind of playing guard to protect all our tools. Nobody could walk away for all the criminals, and I happened to make a mistake and walk away to go throw one of my guys a tool. Turned around, there was this guy breaking into the back of my truck. I went to the door, I opened the door, and I stuck my gun in his face and told him point blank, did you really want it that bad? the closest I've ever come in my life to pulling the trigger and he crawled away and ran away but I thought about it later and I said how I pulled the trigger I would have probably been in jail just for where I was and what I was doing I hate the increment of what that sounds like but it's the truth yeah Uh, I would have honestly probably gone to jail because he was trying to steal my stuff and I had every right to defend that as far as I was concerned but Um, I just, I guess the only thing that stopped me was realizing that I might be the bad guy and I was not, and I was not the bad guy.
3: You know, your property is part of who you are, and you should have a right to defend it, but you are 100% right that in this day and age, if you were to to use a gun against somebody who was just trying to take your stuff, you would absolutely, in most places, you would be then the criminal. You're exactly right. Gene, you made the right call. Thanks for calling The Guy Benson Show. I appreciate it. It's Rich Zioli in for Guy. We're coming right back.
2: Fresh conservative talk.
3: Guy Benson Show. You know, one of my favorite movies is the movie Anchorman. If you haven't seen it, you really should, because it's fantastic. It's just great. It's just hysterical. I I love it. But it's all about a a news crew in San Diego, San Diego, California. And you'll get that if you watch it, too. Will Ferrell plays the Anchorman. But there's a scene there where they say to him, who put the teleprompter because he reads everything on the teleprompter and somebody loaded something he never should have said on the teleprompter. Uh, So I've dubbed Joe Biden President Anchorman because whatever you put on the teleprompter, he will read it. Now, you could use other movies to describe Joe Biden, Weekend at Bernie's, whatever you want to do. It's very obvious that they inject him and then they put the teleprompter up and he reads something. Because he doesn't give speeches. You know, most of the time politicians give speeches. This president doesn't do that. This president reads words on screen badly, poorly, and whatever is written on the screen. There's, this is no exception here, as you're about to hear on this clip. Take a listen.
4: It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so, end of quote. Repeat the line. Women are not without electoral and or political or or maybe precise, not and or or political power.
3: Repeat the line. And like a machine, he repeats the line. Somebody on the teleprompter wrote wrote the screen to say, repeat the line. And he was supposed to just repeat the line. Instead, he read the line that says repeat the line of what he just said. And then he stumbles over that, too. All right. One more time, Dan, with feeling.
4: It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line.
3: (laughs) Repeat the line. Christine, repeat the line. I have my show sheet, which you put together for me, which is fantastic, incredibly helpful. Producer Christine, I don't see repeat the line written on my show rundown.
7: No, and I wonder if someone, you know, like usually if you are giving a direction in a prompter, you put it in like a parentheses. I wonder if it wasn't. And that's mm. why he read it. I'm not making excuses for him, but it
3: kind of sounds like you're making excuses mm, for him.
7: I, 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 I do, I do feel <laughs> bad for the guy. She, you're
3: a better person than I am. I know. I, I'm <laughs> accusing him of being injected with vitamin B, and then they go here, go read.
7: Well, I, I do think that that they probably do that because is it vitamin B? I would say so. Like vita- yeah. you know, when you get, you know, when celebrities get sick, and then they'll a doctor comes in and you know hits them with a the vitamin B shot, and then they go on their way i'm wondering if that's what they do sometimes with um with Biden now,
3: because- I have friends who they party a lot and they told me that they're rich right and i I'm not so I can never do this but there are people there's a service they'll come to your home and they will inject you with whatever fluids and electrolytes and oxygen to have your hangover recovery uh, be done it. Wait, you've done it?
7: Of course, I. uh, Come on. uh, White and Dan, he doesn't understand the drinking power of cookie. (laughs) We talk about it. (laughs) We talk about. There's something that we call Mama's juice, and that's what Cookie likes to drink a lot of.
3: And that's white wine.
7: Uh, Anything, actually. (laughs) Anything. (laughs) Anything. I. So wait.
3: So you've done that where they've come and injected you, and it helped. Does it work?
7: They did not come to my house. I was uh, in Vegas for a birthday. Bash, and then they have places where you go like in that morning and you sit down it's like gorgeous like they have like a really nice living room you know you could have water and some like just hang out there's tvs and then they just hang iv bags and they stick you in with it
3: that's glorious wow I don't think Vegas counts. I think you gotta, if, if you call it into your home, that's when you're a rock star. That's when you know you've hit the big time. All right. Speaking of which, the big time, we're going to talk to Susan Lee, Fox Business Network correspondent. How's the economy doing? Are we hitting the big time with that? It's Rich Zioli in for Guy. This is The Guy Benson Show. It is the Guy Benson Show. It's Rich Zioli in for Guy today from WPHD in Philadelphia on a busy news day. This hour, we're going to get to the Whipgate hoax. As the investigation finds Biden falsely smeared border agents, we talked about it earlier. We'll touch on it again, of course, for the show ends. Uh, But we also have an assassination of Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. And uh, that's why I'm thrilled to have a wonderful guest at appropriate time for it. Of course, you know her. She's terrific. Susan Lee, Fox Business Network business correspondent on Twitter at Susan Lee TV. Susan, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon.
1: Hey, Rich, happy Friday. Thank you for having me.
3: Happy Friday to you. And uh, you did an amazing interview with uh, Japan's longest serving prime minister Shinzo Abe uh, several years ago. And and you mentioned a number of things on Twitter. So first of all, tell us about that experience.
1: Well, it was back in the Asia-Pacific, and Shinzo Abe, you have to remember that this man is a towering political figure in Japan, longest-serving Japanese prime minister post-war, two stints in office, nine years in total. And when I spoke to him, he was really, really seriously thinking of ways to try to revitalize the Japanese economy, which, as you know, was big in the 80s then shrunk and had a, a debt crisis. So he was trying to think of some bold new initiatives to get back up and running once again, and some of those initiatives meant, well, I'll try to be as as uh, basic as I can with with the uh, economic terminology, but he reduced the value of the currency. He asked the government to spend more, and he asked the government to cut rates, and also he brought women back into the workforce, which to me was probably, well, obviously I relate to that. But to me, to bring women back into the workforce in a paternalistic type of economy, that to me was his signature uh, agenda. <laughs>
3: And um, I, I've noticed how he's been smeared a lot in the media today. I, I don't know why he was such a strong ally to the United States of America.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you speak to past presidents, you heard from Obama, you heard from Rahm Emanuel, who's the current U.S. ambassador to Japan. Donald Trump, of course, was one of the first to say that he lost a, a friend and an American ally in the Pacific. Because if you think about it, you know, we know that Shinzo Abe was very, very – HE PUT SECURITY AT THE FOREFRONT AND HE'S VERY, VERY SERIOUS ABOUT THAT BECAUSE HE SAW A CHINESE AGGRESSIVE FORCE THAT WAS RISING A SUPERPOWER IN THE REGION AND SO HE THOUGHT THAT HE NEEDED TO STRENGTHEN THE ALLIANCE WITH THE U.S. PACIFIC PARTNER OF COURSE uh, WE HAD THAT STRENGTH AFTER WORLD WAR II AND SO HE REALLY COURTED A LOT OF THESE CLOSE RELATIONSHIPS WHETHER IT WAS DONALD TRUMP OR BARACK OBAMA AND NOW WITH PRESIDENT BIDEN.
3: Let me uh, switch gears for a moment and talk about the economy with you, Susan Lee, Fox Business Network. Because Corinne um, Jean Pierre said uh, the following. I'm going to play this clip for you, and uh, love for you to take a listen here and get your reaction to it. Go ahead.
9: When you
1: look at inflation, when we look at where we are economically, and we are in a strong, uh, we are stronger economically than we have been uh, in history. When you look at the unemployment numbers at 3.6 percent, uh, when you look at the jobs numbers, uh, more than eight. 8- 7 million of of new jobs created that is important
3: what do you think susan lee is this the strongest economy ever in history well
1: <laughs> maybe not in the history of america I think we had a lower unemployment rate back in, I think it was 2017, 2018, when it was at 3.5%, lowest in 50 years. But I don't want to neglect the fact that we do have a strong economy. I know there are people out there talking about recession fears and the probability of a recession, but we're not there yet. And I don't really think you can price it in. We have two jobs for every applicant available. Now, I would say inflation is very concerning, obviously, at 40-year highs right now. You also have wages going up at 5.1 percent. Sounds great until you realize that you're paying close to eight and a half percent more in prices. So That means you're losing spending power. So I think there's a long way to go and there's a lot to fix. So I wouldn't say it's the best in 50 years, but it's not a bad economy.
3: How is it possible there could be two openings uh, for every applicant? I mean, why are people not going back to work yet? (laughs)
1: Well, there were some generous benefits. And I think also the remote work trend has, uh, I guess, maybe hampered people's ability to go back to work. And also what was really concerning to me in this jobs report is the fact that we lost more workers The participation rate went down, and that might be a sign of age, but it also might be a sign of interest of getting back into the workforce, but also that two-for-one job openings, you know, when you talk to a lot of these smart venture capitalists that run billions of dollars in cash, they'll say that that number will continue to come down with hiring freezes, job uh, job offers being rescinded right now. So, you know, I would imagine that in this slowing economic environment that we're in, that number will come down.
3: And speaking of numbers coming down, there's a story that gas prices have fallen for 24 straight days, but that that relief might only be temporary.
1: And don't forget that we're also up 50%, 60%, depending on where you live on gas with prices from a year ago. And I talked to a lot of the big shipping companies. I've been talking to a lot of the transport companies and trucking, and they tell me, yes, prices have come down. They're down about 40% so far this year, 2022, but they also quadrupled in the past. 12 to 18 months. So you're, you're leveling off and you're coming back down a little bit from pretty high elevated levels. And same thing with gas prices as well. You're still paying close to four bucks a gallon at the pump. I don't know where you live, Rich, but I can imagine that uh, most parts of the country, you're still paying about 70 bucks to fill up your gas tank, yeah. which yeah. for some, again, your wages are not going up as much as prices. That's going to crimp on the family budget.
3: Susan, I'm in I'm in Jersey. And uh, so I have two problems. Number one, I can't pump my own gas. And number two, I'm paying a fortune for it. Uh, it, They just announced the credit card companies had to extend the limit that that, that you're allowed to. to, to, I mean, that's crazy what's happening right now.
1: Yeah, it is crazy. But, you know, I'm glad you brought up credit cards because that is a concerning part of the economy. When I look at the numbers, you know, credit card debt is going up by the most since 2008. And as I've explained to Neil Cavuto on Fox News, the part that I'm concerned about is that when when push comes to shove and consumers have to cut back, they don't usually, the consumer behavior is that you don't actually start cutting back on your expenditures. What you do is you borrow more to cover the day-to-day expenditures and maybe for some of the splurges as well. So I think debt is a concern, especially in a rising rate environment.
3: So It's was like a situation, Susan Lee, where a lot of people felt a little flush with uh, COVID relief cash, and now they're realizing that that's not going to last forever, and so they're tapping into that. That only goes so far, so then they're bringing out the old plastic again?
1: Yeah, that's right. So they have been spending, but I do want to note also that households did build up about 2 trillion dollars in savings because you weren't traveling, you weren't going out, and you were getting those stimulus checks. Now, a lot of that has has started to disappear because of the stock market losses and people tapping those household reserves, but still, you know, economists say that that is one part of the economy that could could possibly save us from a recession. If the central bank, the Federal Reserve, has to raise rates extremely aggressively to try to bring down the 40-year high inflation.
3: Yeah, I've noticed that. I mean, it seems like everybody's trying to travel, Susan. Their uh, airports are, are jammed. Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to get away. We've all been locked down. So now it's, all right, let's go. I don't care how much it costs. I just want to go.
1: Yeah, and you see tears also <laughs> at the airports and people that have been sleeping on the floors because a lot of the cancellations and airlines can't really keep up with demand. So, yeah, TSA numbers, I think we're up to, what, almost close to $3 million. So we're close to those pre-pandemic levels. Business travel hasn't come back yet. But airfare, because of the higher jet fuel costs, which is what I think accounts for 40% of airline costs, I mean, that's, as you know, you're filling up your gas tank. Imagine how much it costs these planes to be filled by the airlines. So you're paying at 20%, I think, month over month, from March to April to May, that you're paying 20% more in your airfare to cover that cost and also for the high demand. So you wonder at what point is there demand destruction when, when flyers say, okay, travelers say, that's enough. I can't really afford this. I, I'm, I'm not going to take that next
11: trip.
3: All right, Susan Lee, last question for you because I know you're busy, Fox Business Network, and we always appreciate <laughs> your your uh, your hard your wonderful contributions there. The Fed. And I apologize,
1: uh, by the way, because I've been late covering the uh, that tragic news from Japan last night. So I apologize if I'm not speaking in perfect sentences. No,
3: you're doing great. I'm thrilled to have you. And and uh, I just wanted to ask you though about about the Fed because to have somebody as knowledgeable as you are about the economy and all things that are happening, uh, it seems like there was an effort by Biden to blame the Fed on everything, but that lasted about a day. I mean, he's always searching for the next person to blame on things. But what? Where do you think what what's their next move? Are they going to raise interest rates again?
1: Absolutely. I think that's been pretty much priced in. I I was looking at the probabilities, and it's almost 95% this morning that they're going to raise rates again later this month by another 75 basis points. So that's, I think you're up to close to 2% now by the end of the summer in higher borrowing rates. But here's a good part is that for average individuals like me and you, those that don't have a lot of credit card debt, what, what's important when it comes to rates is the 10-year Treasury yield. And right now we've seen that bring down mortgage rates because some of the rates have come down because they are expecting a, a slower economy. And that means the Fed actually has the option. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this is what Wall Street is pricing in: that we do have a slowing economy. And tell me if I'm explaining this clearly to you, Rich. But if the slowdown is severe, the Federal Reserve could possibly even cut rates next year. So that's a positive.
3: Wow. Because every time they raise rates, I mean, that's that's a big uh, that hurts people's buying power. I mean, my wife's in real estate, for example, so she sees it directly.
1: Yeah, exactly. So when, when they start raising rates, I think even 25 to 50 basis points, they're moving around trillions of dollars around the world because it's a globalized economy. So it's not just the U.S. But think of all that money movement in Europe, in Asia. And by the way, the one good part about the Chinese COVID lockdowns is that China might turn on the stimulus spigots. And as you learned from 2008, one part of the world moves, the other also shakes as well. So we could get some of that money coming here to U.S. borders.
3: One part of the world moves, the other also shakes. You heard it here first. I love it. Susan, thank you so much. Susan Lee, Fox Business Network, uh, your thoughts on uh, Shinzo Abe were terrific. I'm going to retweet that as well. Thanks for sharing all of your thoughts on that. We really appreciate it on such a busy day today. Thank you.
1: Have a great weekend.
3: You too. This is The Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli. We'll be right back.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More
3: next. Via Susan Lee well you know what i'm just looking at susan lee's twitter and apparently now elon musk says he is terminating the twitter deal oh this is terrible news uh breaking news here should we do a, a well, i don't know if we can do an alert maybe, maybe well we didn't uh Elon Musk says, according to Susan Lee's Twitter, that uh, he is terminating the Twitter deal. Would have been nice of her to mention this when she was on the show two minutes ago. But, I, but I, it was one minute ago she tweeted it out. So maybe it's not her fault. Maybe, like maybe she hung up, Christine, and then she tweeted it, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. She I think just i got to call her back. <laughs> Let's call her back. Come on, Susan. You could have broke news right here on this like, show. We
7: could get it back on Susan. Do you have something to tell us?
3: Yeah. Is there anything you haven't told us? You know, I don't understand. I'm just a fill-in host, but still, come on. Throw a guy a bone, will you? Hashtag Musk says he is terminating hashtag Twitter deal. Elon Musk is terminating the merger agreement because Twitter is in material breach of multiple provisions of agreement. Twitter has been on notice of its breach since at least June 6th. Twitter under merger agreement has now lapsed. That is breaking news that she just tweeted out one minute ago. Wow. What do I say to this? I'm bummed. I really wanted him to take over Twitter. I'm re- I got more followers ever since he announced he was taking over. I'm going to lose all my followers now. Oh, this is a bummer. Can we get Susan back on? Do we ask her?
7: No, I did not get her back on. Let her have her Friday. Oh, She's come working on. It. I can- I- I'm not going to get her back on. You if just- I got
3: to be here till six, Susan should have to be here till six.
7: You just take the news and run with it. Why are you so upset if he doesn't own it? Because. I think that ever since he
3: said he was going to and he was going to defend freedom of speech, I feel like the Twitter overlord censors started to back off shadow banning people and things like that. And now that it's dead, they're going to go right back to doing all that again. That's how I look at it.
7: Are, are, are you worried about your influencer status? I'm an influencer. Uh, you are? You know, I'm
3: not like the guy in Jersey. Gee, This guy in Jersey, makes uh, he makes uh, hoagies. I, mean, I call him hoagies in South Jersey. Hoagies? But- Yeah, hoagies. What do you call them up there in North Jersey? Subs. Subs? All right. Hoagies. Well, yeah, they're hoagies. Do you call soda pop? No, I call it soda. I call it beer, actually. I just, you know, give me a beer. That's what I say, you know, because I would never drink soda. But no, this guy's an influencer on TikTok now. He's a deli owner in North Jersey, and he makes subs, as you call them. And he gets millions of views of people watching him on TikTok making subs. Oh, I'd watch. Anybody could be an influencer nowadays.
7: Totally. I wonder if I should be like just drinking mama's juice.
3: Just drink mama's juice. Well, here's my idea to be an influencer. Tell me what you think of this. I have a wood fired pizza oven in my backyard. I think I'm going to start doing videos of me making my wood fired pizza.
7: Oh, that could be good. Right. Do you backyard have like, wood fired pizza. But do you have different varieties or.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I could go through the process and how you load the wood, how you keep the flame
7: up, how you get how you- the pineapple and the bacon on it.
3: Okay, the only people who use pineapple on pizzas are swingers, and everybody knows that. That
7: is not true. I that order. That is true. Okay, I order pineapple and bacon pizza from Domino's. It's the only thing I order from Domino's. You know, it's every delicious. time I do,
3: every time I do this show, I'm reminded of why I don't like doing the show. It's because of this. Right here. You and Domino's and Pineapple Pizza. Delicious. What is wrong with you? It's you're so an Italian
7: good. girl from North Jersey. What are you doing? I know, I know. Some things just can't be explained, but I'm telling you, if you haven't tried it, you're missing out big time.
3: All right, listen. Next time I'm in studio, which will be August, where I'm ordering it. Even though I hate to say I do this in New York City, the pizza capital of the United States. I'm going to order Domino's and we're going to eat it on the air.
7: Mm, I'm ready. I'm you ready. ready. We'll do a challenge. Make sure you have enough gas in your car to get here, okay? Well, first of all, speaking of the gas thing, and as I
3: mentioned to Susan Lee, we cannot pump our own gas in New Jersey. But let me ask you this. Would you support a bill sponsored by a state senator named Declan O'Scalen that would allow you the choice to be able to pump your own gas?
7: You tell whoever that Declan is to knock it off. Come on! Why not give people freedom, Stop Christine? It. No way. No way. I am not pumping gas i've never pumped gas i think i did it one time guy made me do it on the guy benson retreat um i i've never pumped my gas and i'm not about to start now
3: wyatt you're a jersey guy you know why she's doing this right because she has a bumper sticker on her car it says jersey girls don't pump gas
0: yeah i mean i'm with christine on this
10: i don't <laughs> i don't want to pump my own gas and the only time i've ever done it was on the guy benson show retreat in cape cod as well he Damn, made us. Why
3: not give people a choice to pump your own gas? It's your choice.
4: I think this is crazy. I don't. I don't know why you need to have someone pump your gas for you. Exactly.
3: But Thank you. I'm. I'm a college educated man. I can't stick a freaking handle in my right. car and fill up my. Come on. You can't yeah.
7: pay a few cents more and just have somebody do it and give them a job. I don't want my hands smelling like gas if I'm heading out to the. Duck then clubs. don't
3: pump the gas. Then I'm talking about giving people a choice. Why do you but, hate freedom, Christine? No,
7: yes, I hate freedom. Oh my goodness! But here's the problem you're not seeming to understand. What's now, that? between pumping gas, between what is it called, serve and self-serve? Wait, what is it?
3: Yeah, full serve full and, service self-serve. and self-serve. Okay, right.
7: It's going to be a difference in price, correct? Uh, yes. So my husband is so, sorry, Bobby, I love you. He is so cheap. He will always make me do the self-service. It's not going to happen.
3: Listen, I am for freedom, freedom, baby. And if if, if some uh, high school dropout can pump his own gas, I, as someone who really identifies as a high school dropout, I certainly can pump my own gas. All right, freedom. Are right, we got a lot more to talk about here on the Guy Benson Show, including is this the worst mom in the history of moms? I'm gonna tell you about a woman where she just trying to get her lazy child to go to work. Straight ahead.
2: Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson.
3: Indeed, we are, and uh, you know, as we always talk about youth in this country, are they are they a bunch of lazy people, or what's going on here? What's happening? And and you have your uh, your grown adult child living in your basement. You know, they go to school, they graduate with all this debt that Biden wants to cancel, and then they move in with you, and you can't get them out of the house. Well. At least one mom is pushing back on this idea by, I think she's doing the right thing. She's raising her child to actually, you know, maybe have to go and be self-sufficient in life. Imagine that kind of a concept, huh? Imagine that concept where you have to go be self-sufficient. This is The Guy Benson Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for a guy today, and it's great to have you with us today. So I, the question I have to ask is whether or not this is the worst mom in the world or the greatest mom in the world. So let me give you the story here. I made my 18-year-old son sign a lease Pay rent at home, and people say I'm a bad mom. All right, she went viral. She's an Oklahoma mother of six, posted a video of her daughter signing the document on TikTok. She called it a teaching moment, as the song It's a Hard Knock Life from the musical Annie played in the background. The video has since received, ready, more than 1.6. million views, almost 130,000 likes and over 400,000 comments. But despite framing this decision as a way to set up her daughter for success, not everyone's on board with the idea of making her child pay for room and board. Several people were commenting about how unfair this is. Come on. But she's like, listen, the kid's an adult and I want to set her straight. I want to make sure she understands that you have to go work for a living. And many parents are are agreeing with her. But other people are saying, come on, I'm in my 20s and I can barely get by with two jobs. Help her save money. Don't make her pay now. She needs to save money now. So one day she can buy a house or do something like that. So. Is this mom teaching her daughter the right thing in life about how you got to be a self-sufficient adult? Or is she giving her daughter a disadvantage because she let, she could be letting her live at home, save money, and then go out and be an even more productive adult, maybe by being able to have a down payment for a house? What do you think, Christine?
7: I mean, I lived in my house until I was almost 25 years old, rent-free. And that gave me the ability to save a lot of money and put it in the bank. If Megan needed to be home after of the age of 18, she can live with her mother for however long she needs rent-free.
3: However long she needs? Yep. 30, 40, 50 Doesn't years matter. old? She
7: always has a place to live and put her head as long as mommy's still here.
3: As long as mommy's still here. So you don't think this mom is being a good mom? I disagree. I think this mom is being great. She's telling her daughter, you're an adult now. You can vote. You can serve in the military. You're an adult. You want to live here? you got to get a J-O-B if you want to stay with me.
7: I, I agree on the J-O-B part. Like, Megan would have to have a job, but I'm not going to charge her money, money that, that she could just put in the bank. And like you said, use for a down payment or help pay off student loans or wh- whatever the case may be. Um no way am I charging my own child.
3: I don't know Dan, what do you think? I think you know what at some point kids have to become adults. What is the age of adulthood in this country?
4: Well, I got my first apartment at 18 for college and when I came when I was about to finish college, my mom mentioned this to me and said if you come to live home, even if you're working, I'm going to charge you rent. So I think it's not that bad of an idea. I think it creates responsibility and I'm I'm okay with it.
3: Yeah. See, I agree with you, because when, what's if she went to college and was living in college, she may have to pay room and board herself. So why is it any different? I mean, you you survived, right? I did. But I think it's a generation yeah. thing, too, because I think a lot of people think, well, mom and uh, this happened after Obamacare. Remember, with Obamacare, they said you could be on your parents insurance till 26. That was a signal to a lot of people. Hey, I can live in the basement, rent free till I'm 26 years old.
7: Right. But if you're making them give you rent, they're probably going to be in that basement a lot longer than if you said to them "Now, like, put that money in the bank, save up for something like a down payment. So you're actually going to have them longer in the basement than I probably would.
3: All right. What do you think? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Is this woman a bad mom? Would you charge your adult children rent? to live in the house they grew up in 833 456 1300 i say this mom is teaching her child a valuable lesson christine says she's being the worst
7: mom in the
3: world
7: never would charge my daughter my oh, baby girl come.
3: you're giving your baby girl a valuable life lesson adulthood is expensive right come on you got to you got to you got to pay up here a little bit uh why what do you think is this a bad mom or is this a mom being responsible and teaching the right thing
0: i don't know I'm, I'm kind of torn here i i mean during the pandemic i moved home and stayed at my parents house and i didn't pay any rent um but i think it depends on the situation and i think that you, you know you must have a job you must be working if you were to do something in that realm of moving back home without having to pay or pay whatever you you have to have a job that would be my only
3: requirement i gotta have a job if you want to be with me let's see what joanna thinks in georgia joanna you're on the guy benson show good mom bad mom
9: well i'm not gonna say she's a bad mom because we all have our point of view when my son was in college the main thing was important to me was his grades I wanted him to make the absolute best grades he can so when he graduates, he gets the best job he can. So, what I did, I gave my son an hour. I gave him $450 a month for his four years. Now he has graduated, he has the best job ever. So, I won't say she's on a bad thing. And they have their own fun. I mean, I just, I don't know. My thing is, they have to make good grades. I mean, They have to. I mean, because once they get out of college, they're on their own. I mean, you want them to get the best job, have the best education. You want that. So no, I wouldn't charge my child. I mean, you know, not every youngster is responsible anyway. Some may have a job and you know blow up the money and lose saving the money.
3: All right, Joanna, listen, thank you for the call. I see your point. But I think if you want to make a child responsible, there's nothing wrong with making them pay. But I like your idea in the one sense, as long as they keep their grades up, you don't charge them rent. That's that might be an interesting way to do it. Uh, Let's see. Brian's in Maryland. Brian, did you actually charge your kids rent? Did you do that?
11: Yeah, we did. Uh, My wife and I talked about it. And what I did was I didn't tell them, but we set that money aside for them, uh, my daughter and my son. And when they were we didn't force them to move out, didn't tell them anything. They decided. And when they decided to move out, we handed them, you know, both of them, all the money that they gave us for the rent. And it was like they had a great head start when they moved out.
3: Oh, so you did it like a forced savings account, basically.
11: Yep, because they, my son was my daughter was more of a saver than my son, so I knew my son was not going to have you know any kind of nest egg when he decided to move out. So that was really more beneficial to my son to to have that nest egg when he moved out. He had a he had a deposit for his apartment and he had a little bit of money in the bank, and he had no idea that I was going to give it back to him, but he still you know, was able to move out on his own terms. I didn't force him. So with Christina's point, she said, well, maybe it'll live longer in the house. I didn't. I mean, I don't think that mattered one way or the other.
3: Brian, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Eight three three four five six thirteen hundred. 1300, eight, three, three, four, five, six, 1300. This is a mom charging her 18 year old daughter rent to live in the home. I don't see anything wrong with it. Terry is in, Ohio- in Idaho. Terry, what do you think?
1: I think absolutely it teaches them. I am a mortgage broker, and my kids all, when they turned 18, just like the last caller, I charged them rent. It wasn't a lot; it was just a little, but they had to learn to pay something. And when it was time for them to move, you know, move on, I could help them with the deposit or whatever they needed that way from the money that they had paid me.
3: Interesting way to go. So they learn the value to save, but then the money also helps them. I like that. You're not getting rich off your kids. You're just teaching them a valuable lesson.
1: Most children say they're going to save and they don't.
3: Right, because you need somebody to force you to do it. Otherwise, you're going to go out and buy ice cream or, you know, candy or drugs, right? I mean, obviously, Terry, I agree. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it very much. Johnny, hit me up on Twitter. You can do the same thing, at RichZioli.com. Johnny says she's teaching her daughter to stick her in a nursing home as soon as the tables turn. Traditional families have always lived in multi-generational homes. So Johnny would be on Team Producer Christine that this is uh, this is not a good mom right here to do this. But you know what? She The daughter will have the last revenge when mom is eligible for a nursing home. That is a good point. Uh, where am I going here? I'm going to Bonnie in California. Bonnie, would you charge your child rent? No, I would not charge them rent, but
1: they would have to um, go to school and work at the house. And if the work wasn't good enough, then I would charge them rent. But either way, they'd have to go to work and school at the same time.
3: All right, so they got to make them work around the house, vacuum, do the the dishes. What kind of stuff are you thinking?
1: Well,
12: we have horses, so that means pick up the poop.
3: Pick up the poop. I like it, but then it's more of like you have like a, a somebody living in and 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 you're giving them board in exchange for work. I like that philosophy too.
7: Pretty much, yeah, yeah.
3: All right, Bonnie, thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, look, that's the question. I mean, is this teaching? Is this teaching responsibility? I think you have to with kids today, and it seems like there's a number of people who are moving back with their parents over the age of thirty, even. And look, sometimes life things go wrong. You get a divorce, you lose your job. There's a pandemic. I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about? The lazy bones person who doesn't know how to become an adult out there. Roger is in Houston, Texas. Roger, do you charge the kids rent?
11: It depends on the situation. My son. Yes. My daughter. No.
3: Okay. (laughs) Son, Yes. Daughter. No. Very specific. Tell me why.
11: Uh, My daughter is very responsible. She has multiple jobs. She works real hard and pays her bills. My son, if I didn't charge him rent, all of his money would go to partying, uh, being lazy, drinking, and buying clothes that he really can't afford. So I think it's a great deal. Charge him a little uh, money for rent, or even if you buy them a car, finance them a car, have them pay you back that money, put it in a savings account. So when they need it for a house or a marriage or a child, they have it.
3: Roger, I like your thinking on this, my friend. Well said. All right, 833-456-1300. What do you think? Would you ever charge your kids rent to live in the home they grew up with when they become adults? This mom is making her daughter pay rent. Is she a good mom or bad mom teaching the kids a lesson or just being greedy? 833-456-1300.
2: Fresh Conservative Talk Guy Benson Show
0: College boy, huh? They want to get mixed up in the family business Now you want to gun down a police why Because he slapped you in the face a little bit Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away You got to get up close like this Bada-bing, You blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit Come in
3: Bada-bing! Of course, uh, actor James Caan passed away. Uh, A true legend, and uh, to me, he will always be Sonny Corleone. He'll always be Sonny Corleone in my mind. Although there was some disagreement on the show earlier whether or not he'll always be known as Sonny Corleone, or in Wyatt's mind, whether or not he'll be known as the dad in Elf. But I don't even have to discuss it because I know the answer. The answer is... James Conn will forever be known as Santino Corleone. And if he had easy pass, he'd be alive today. But back to this question of this mom, whether or not this mom is a terrible mom for charging her kids rent. Let's see what Anthony in Indiana has to say. Anthony, good afternoon on The Guy Benson Show.
8: Hello. Yes, the answer is I would definitely charge my children rent after age 22 or when they finish college. Um, 18 to 20, 18 to 22, it depends. Situation dictates. Uh, we owe our children uh, that duty to force them to become successful, accountable members of society. Um, if you don't do that, they a lot of them tend to hate you later when they're not successful. So uh, I think this is a switch that has happened because our society has switched from being a paternal society to a maternal. So um, I, think the, uh, I think that's where we, we need to, to get back to the old school way of doing things.
3: Interesting. I like your thinking on this. You're actually doing what's in the best interest of the kid by teaching them these valuable lessons that they're going to need later in life. Anthony, well said. Thank you for the call. I agree with you on that point. Kim's in California. Kim, what do you think? Is the mom a bad mom for charging rent?
12: Absolutely not a bad mom at all. Um, It teaches kids just like a previous of parents say This is a good way to find out what kind of children you have. If they're responsible with you, chances are they will be responsible when they go out there in the real life. I have three kids. I love them the same, but one might need more attention and coaching than another. Depend how you put it, but don't say charge them like a cold cut, but have good (laughs) discussions. And, you know, give them a lot of love and care and responsibility. Not only take the rent from them and save it for them in one way or another, but also divide chores around the house. Give them some bill to be responsible with, either water bill, utility bill, or phone bill.
3: I like it, Kim. I like it. Thanks for the call. Karen's in Boston. Karen, do you charge your kids rent? I do,
12: and I have for the last few months, mostly because... The cost of living in Boston is as high as L.A. or New York City. Um, My husband passed away last year, and I lost his income. And I've been raiding my retirement fund to keep us afloat, so there was no choice. It's not a matter of – even if that weren't the case, I still would, because I agree with the uh, other folks that uh, um, they need to learn, uh, be responsible. I feel like I'm not even doing enough um uh, to, to teach them to pay, pay their bills. I feel like I'm falling down on that. I hate even asking them for it, to be honest, to, to go and ask them for the money. It seems like every month I have to like, come on guys, you know, uh, but that's the I way real life
3: it? is. You got to do that sometimes, you know, it,
12: it is, it is real life. Um, uh, things happen that you have sometimes don't have control over. Um, and, uh, you know, um, they don't want to move out of Boston. They like being in Boston. We live uh, in the Seaport District, so uh, like basically like a Times Square kind of uh, location, and it's very expensive. So if they want to stay and have uh, be in a nice neighborhood where there are lots of restaurants and bars and stuff, then they got they got to kick it in.
3: Karen. And, Thank you. Listen, I'm sorry for the challenges you've had to face, but it sounds like you're a very strong woman and and a great mom. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, Joe's in St. Louis. Joe, what do you got? What do you think?
0: Um, Well, yes, uh, uh, definitely uh, charge the rent if they're not in
8: school. If if they're in college, then, you know, there's really no way for them to pay rent. So that wouldn't make sense. But if, if they were not in school. Definitely, uh, rent would be forthcoming, and I I, I do like the other the idea, the other caller, where you know you just save it up and give it to them to give them a head start afterwards. But just uh, one other comment: Uh, this this mom is not being nearly embarrassing enough. I mean, you know, part of part of the job as a parent is to be such an embarrassment that they that they want to leave, that they don't want to (laughs) be.
3: I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Joe, thank you for the call. You'll conclude it for today. Uh, I think the survey says I'm right. Christine's wrong. The mom is a good mom teaching a good lesson. Sorry, Christine.
7: Bunch of mean people out there.
3: But we can all agree that Sonny Corleone, James Conn, forever will be known as Santino. Hey, it's been a pleasure and an honor to fill in for Guy Benson, my friend. And I hope to be back with you again soon. You can follow me on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Thanks to Christine and Dan and Wyatt. Great team. We'll talk again soon. Have a great weekend. Thank you.